This is the Welcome to Perth podcast, showcasing the stories behind our events, entertainment and lifestyle. These are the stories of how they came to be and what the future has in coming. Hello listeners and viewers to the next episode of Welcome to Perth Catch-Ups. Today I have with me Flua McIntyre. Now, Flua is uh, she's over actually on Zoom with us today because she's still over in Sydney after a huge uh, clean sweep actually in the NBL, being the first female to uh, to actually win a ring as the assistant coach of the Sydney Kings. Um, but there's a lot more to Flua than uh, than than just that because she's got a Bachelor of Science. Uh, in, at UWA, and she's also done a PhD in health science at Notre Dame, uh, where you've actually been at the, um, the discipline head of exercise and sports science for 12 years, as well as a researcher, lecturer, and academic. Uh, and then on top of that, you can actually play basketball yourself, turns out, 270 games for Coburn Cougars, uh, state captain a couple of times, I believe, and five MVP awards. Uh, and then, obviously, the body maybe had a broken down after 270 games. So that's my guess. We'll get into that in a little bit. But uh, you then flicked your uh, came across to coaching and uh, and working, um, helping younger people um, develop their skills. And you became, um, became a coach at Perth Lynx. Uh, you were the SBL commissioner, and obviously you're uh, you're still celebrating. Is that a champagne bottle I can see next year after the, <laughs> after the win? Quite possibly <laughs> in in a water bottle. I'm disguising it these days. <laughs> uh, is that a, is that? Have I missed anything really important? No, I think you've covered it, James. <laughs> I think it, uh, it makes me sound heaps really old when you when you list it all. But um, I am feeling old after four days of celebrating a championship. Let me tell you. Uh, any stories you can share with us that aren't going to get anyone sacked from the celebrations over the last four days? No, just that I've come to the realisation that I can't party with 25-year-olds like I thought I could. Uh, four days in, I was thinking, oh, my God, I just need some sleep. They, uh, <laughs> I like to pretend that I could still go with the boys, but absolutely no chance. A couple of places we walked into, I just thought to myself, I'm way too old to line up for a toilet. <laughs> line up for a drink. I need to get out of here. So it was fun, but yeah, those stark realizations that you're not as young as what you think you are when you go and party with your you guys that you coach. I feel you. I've uh, I've now been known as the guy that does the ghosties. Uh, once mm. we you have to line up in a in a club or line up somewhere else, I'm uh, I'm yeah. I'm out of there. Are you the ghosty sort of person, or are you going around and hugging everyone, and then someone's trying to twist you? your arm for one more shot or one more drink so it's funny Saturday night I said to the guys like yeah I'll come out it was kind of the last night without imports like Ian was leaving the next morning and we got to this place they'd chosen I've walked in I'm like oh no I'm out the bar was six people deep I was like there's (laughs) no way so I've done this whole like I love you guys I'm going home like Ian we're hugging each other and I'm giving this great goodbye and then I walked straight out and went to this quiet bar next door and met like a friend of mine and we're just having a glass of wine. Um, 
And Ian walked past five minutes later. He's like, you've just done this whole like goodbye and how much you love me and that we're connected for life. And he goes, I walk out five minutes later, you're just sitting in the bar next door. So <laughs> I, said, I said to him, it's a fair point. I made quite the dramatic exit, like yeah. thinking that I wasn't seeing you guys. And then five minutes later, him and I were in the bar next door just having a drink because he caught me on his way out. So yeah, no ghosts. I feel like I've got to say goodbye, which is often to my detriment because it takes me 27 minutes to make my way around <laughs> people and say goodbye, but it's all part of it, I guess. And uh, and what are some, um, give us a couple of highlights um, of your experience in the, in the final series. I think just the tension and the stress, like I had so many messages from people going, how do you look so calm during this? But you're not like your heart is going and game two was one of the greatest games I've ever been a part of. Like just huge shot making DJ hits a shot to like basically seal it for us. And we walk out of there in Tassie knowing that we're going to go back and try and win game three on our home floor. Um, And everyone was like, you look so calm. I said, I am until I'm screaming at the end of the game and your heart is racing. Like these guys just make big shot after big shot. Some of the shots that, Josh Adams hit from the Jack Jumpers. You're just in shock going, I don't even know how that went in. Like we guarded that the best way that we could. And he's like contorted in the air and he's made this shot. And sometimes you just got to tip your hat and or often just pinch yourself just sitting there going, I've got the best seats in the house. So these unbelievable athletes just doing their thing, but I've got to stay focused on us trying to win this game. So, yeah, getting to witness some of those performances across the season, but particularly in the semifinals and the finals was just something I'll cherish. It was unbelievable. Mm. And it, it was great from, a, I guess, being a Perth person myself, you probably used to go for the Wildcats um, until um, you had to go across to the eastern states and enjoy the traffic in Sydney. But um, <laughs> But was it... I don't know. Was it still pleasing to see the Jack Jumpers in their first season uh, make make the grand final? Yeah, it was. I'm actually quite good friends with Jacob Chance, who's assistant coach for the Jack Jumpers. He's a Perth boy. So we've known each other for a long time and we kind of had jokes during the season. You play each other three times, obviously, during the regular season. So we had jokes that it was 1-1 when we played each other and we were going to Tassie and we ended up beating them fairly substantially in Tassie and we had beers on the line to see who was going to buy the beers. Um, And then when they made the grand final, he's messaging me going, this is for all the beers. I'm like, absolutely. (laughs) So um, we, we caught up a fair bit during the season and I was really wrapped for him. They did such an incredible job without being too wrapped because I obviously knew that (laughs) they were going to be very, very good. It was really physical. And I think we were, you know, we respected them immensely, you know, and we knew what we wanted to do. So, um, whilst I was ecstatic for them and how their season had gone, still really focused on we wanted to beat the hell out of them come the grand final series and we knew that it was going to be an absolute battle going in. And Chansey and I have swapped a couple of messages over the last couple of days and he was obviously gorgeous when we won and I congratulated him on his season. But, yeah, like what they did in their first season was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, like I was probably one of the ones as well. Like I wrote them off the entire year. I was like, they just can't, I just don't see how they're going to get there. I don't know if they're going to make the grand final. And and then they're there and they were just so tough. Like it took everything we had to get over the top of them. And thankfully we were able to, but unbelievable what they were able to achieve in their first season. Sli- uh, sliding door moments, isn't it, with, you know, game two and just that shot going down. It's it's funny just how, you know, 
in basketball, it's, just, it's such small margins can change. You know, if that game doesn't go your way, then you're feeling the pressure probably game three oh. at home. And yeah, so it's, it's, it's a fascinating game basketball, isn't it? Because the margins, margins are so small. Absolutely. And just those, those moments, those shots, like DJ making that shot, I think will stay with me forever. Um, and because not that I thought they weren't done by any means, but that deflated them like that to go back one, one into Sydney was a completely different story than us going back two nil. And they, we took the air out of the building. That building was so loud and we were coughing absolute abuse for an entire game. And I was I one, that was one of my questions it was going to be. Do you, do, you, for do you cop much on the sidelines uh, wearing your Sydney Sydney Kings outfit? Um, yeah, I mean, it depends. <laughs> uh, Wollongong's pretty hostile, like yeah. obviously that rivalry. And Wollongong and Tassie are structured where the crowd's like almost on top of you, like the grandstand. So they're hanging over and they're just giving it to you. Um, That's a home ground advantage right there. <laughs> it is. And our arena's a little bit different because it's so spread out. So I feel like there's not that. Like the crowd's loud, but you are just copying these people. I still remember we played Melbourne um, and we have a system. Everyone talks to me all year about the post-its that we use and that's our rotations. If you're in charge of rotations, you're handing post-its to chase our head coach and we're playing Melbourne in John Kane and we were down 26-0. We lost by 40 this game. Like it was horrendous, James. Like the crowd was going and they don't sit down to <laughs> score and with 26 nil and I'm thinking dear god please just let us score like this is the, I can't even hear myself sing. it was like a train wreck and then uh, some guy behind me was like yelling out like hey blondie your post-its aren't working and we were just like popping it and there was a group of kids behind us all game and the third quarter and all you heard was Sydney sucks Sydney sucks <laughs> And I turned to Kevin. I said, "I mean, they're not wrong, but we're down forty. Can they just let it go? At let some it go. Point? Go so, get a beer yeah, while the kids so they they can't go games. get a beer. <laughs> at all games. So yeah, we've copped it. There's been some. Uh, I think Sydney's probably the team people love to hate as well. So yeah, yeah. yeah, we've certainly copped some abuse on the road this year, but that's all part of it. Love it. And so some uh, some friendships you've made at, at Sydney. Who, who, who's maybe someone that surprised you at, you know, the way that they are, you know, off camera or off, off the court? Really lucky in that the guys that I coach, they are the best group of guys. And I think that it was really funny in the celebrations. I think a few of them had a few drinks and they said to me, like, Fleur, we were like, we hired a female. None of us had ever had a female coach. And we're not going to lie to you. We're all thinking, are we going to have to change everything about ourselves? Like in this, and it was so funny them saying to me, like, but no, you're you, and it was just normal, and you just waltz in, and it is, you know, what it is. But they are the best group of guys, and you know, I think one of the things I probably do well is I connect with people quite well, and I care about them, and they embrace me, I embrace them, and I'm so lucky, like that they. Yeah, welcome me with open arms. And even this week, like I'm I'm coming back to Perth soon and there's a couple of them that reached out and said, can we have coffee before we go? We're going to have dinner before you go. So those connections with, with you guys and that, honestly, it meant the world. And, you know, I think that someone like, I mean, it's been public, sort of publicised a lot across my journey, but Luke Longley was such a great person to have in my corner. Um, it was hard moving to Sydney. Ten months. He, he was the one that he was the one that called you, wasn't he? That said it was. Yeah. Do you want to apply for yeah. this, this assistant job? 
he was, and he's like my he's like my Yoda. He's like all our Yodas, I guess. In uh, in the Kings, he's a consultant. He's the voice of reason. He's the voice of accountability and keeping people on their toes. And but he was just yeah during the year when it was hard and it's been exhausting. We we were in each other's pockets for 10, 11 months. We've been gone for a long time with COVID interruptions and you know not seeing your family. I miss my sister's wedding. You know there was so many things that were hard. Um, so people like Luke. Um, were amazing. I was very fortunate to have an unbelievable coaching staff. It was so much fun amongst the stress and tension of being in that pressure environment. But yeah, these guys, I can't single any one of them out because someone asked me, I did an Instagram takeover and they were like, who's your favorite? I'm like, I actually couldn't tell you. They like, I, this group, like I love them. Um, And there's, there's things there, whether we get the roster back or not or what happens, but you know, you go through winning a championship together and you're bonded for life. And I think um, just being part of their story and their journeys and getting to meet their families and things like that, they're the stuff, they're the things that matter to me. And I think beyond the trophies and whatever, the people and the connections, that's what matters above all else. Yeah. And is that, it's interesting when you, when you see different rosters of basketball teams get put together, um, you know, even just look at the Brooklyn Nets, you know, you go, well, how they're, they're, they're going to have to win it this year. And it's fascinating how, yeah, cultures seem to be just so much more important. Um, you need talent, but culture seems to be nearly more important than talent. What's, what's your opinion on, on that? Well, I completely agree. I think the narrative all year, if you listen to all the, the media about it, it's like, oh, Sydney, they're so talented and they're so, they've got so much depth. And we did, absolutely. But what people don't know is, A, how tough these guys were. Like I got to see it every single day, the toughness in this group and their competitiveness and going at each other. And talking to the guys, like I spoke to Ian a lot, Ian Clark, who was one of our mid-season recruits that came in, obviously won a championship with the Warriors and he's been around for a long time and, talking to Zabe about it and they're like, this team is something else. Like you always have one or two guys that are hard work and they're kind of painful and that you've got to kind of deal with. But they they both just said to me, we've never been like in a, this team was something special. Like everyone got along. We had our days. Like they're professional athletes and people were grumpy and we were moody and we'd have our fights. And But overall, just unbelievable human beings. Like and that connection, that closeness – I've never seen anything like it. It was such a privilege to watch these guys go at each other but just love each other like something else. So I'm with you. I think talent is great but you've got to be able to get talent to come together and it somehow magically happened. But also I don't think it was magic because of the personalities and the human beings that we recruited and we had involved. Yep. Now, and and also, I can't help but notice that the first year that the Wildcats don't actually make the finals in what, like, twenty three years or something, was when you actually moved across. Um, now, I'm blaming you for that, Thor, uh, because <laughs> that was a that I'm pretty sure that was a world record that you've just absolutely ruined for us. Yeah, it was thirty four. Thirty four was it? Yeah, it's a long time. It's a long time. That's crazy, Wildcats. isn't it? <laughs> yeah, look, I, and I'm look after. I'm more than willing to put my hand up. I'll take responsibility. If it makes you feel better, James. I'm more than happy to take responsibility. That's fine. That's it's fine. good for the young. Um... fans need someone to blame, so I'm okay being that. Person. <laughs> Just be careful when you get off at the airport on Friday night, okay? Because <laughs> there might be. Uh, um, 
So 36 years, is that, is that how long it's been? It was 35, though, aimed for 36. Yeah, it was a, it was a huge run. I mean, they are crazy. unbelievable franchise. Like, that is just crazy, crazy records. So had to come to an end, I think, sooner or later. And they had a little bit of bad luck with Vic Law getting injured down the stretch and things like that. So um, I think... I mean, look, I mean, Good for the competition, teams, though, isn't it? And most, the whole of Australia is envious of the Wildcats and their success and their organization. So I think that, uh, but I really, it's funny, I read some stuff and their fans and like it had to end sooner or later, <laughs> you know, and enjoy the ride, soak up what you've been part of. And um, I think Perth fans are a little bit spoiled sometimes. And be a little bit entitled, especially with, you know, even West Coast changing codes. Uh, you know, yes, they're having a really tough time. They've Some things yeah. are out of their control as well. And it's crazy how how much abuse gets hurled, especially on social media, which, yeah, oh. I'd actually love to get your um, your thoughts on how is, – are they a lot of conversations that you have with players on – on how you deal with, um, you know, do you manage your own social media? Do you reply to people? Do you open up all the, you know, your um, Instagram inboxes when you play a good game, when you play a bad game? That, what's what's your take on it and your advice? It's interesting. We hadn't talked about it the whole year. Um, and I'm actually experiencing it now, which is crazy to me that people know who I am and they're sending me message requests on Instagram. I'm like, You've got a ring now. Going? So that's that's what happened. What is going on? Like I'm assistant coach. I'm not sure why, but um, I I kind of get it now in terms of people reaching out and everyone's trying to message you. And I've never experienced anything like that in my entire life. And now I've got some understanding of what our guys go through, you know, every single game. And we hadn't mentioned it, we hadn't talked about it because they're adults and they manage their own social media, but Heading into the playoffs, we talked about um, little things matter and our focus and where we wanted to expend our energy. And we sort of thought, do we want our energy expended on social media and replying to things that perhaps is taking our focus away from the things that matter? So whilst we didn't, you know, put rules in or anything like that, it was stuff we discussed, you know, that, you know, when we're heading into the playoffs, it's your attention to detail and your concentration. And Luke talks about who's going to blink first in a staring contest. You don't want to be the one to blink first. And when you've got all these sort of things taking your energy, that causes you to blink. So it was certainly something we talked about and looking at how we were locking in and focusing. And social media was one of those things that came up without policing it. I think the boys were very cognizant of the fact that we don't want these external distractions. And there was a lot of talk after game two that DJ got a, got a couple of death threats on um, Instagram and people messaging him about his celebration. And, you know, he said he read it, he deleted it. And I worked with DJ a lot. He was one of my individual players that I worked with a lot during the year. And I sort of said to him, like, are you okay? Are you doing all right? He's like, yeah, yeah, Fleur, I'm fine, I'm fine. He's like, it's, I get it. I said, is it taking your energy or are you good? He's like, no, no, no. I delete it and I, I go again. These people, it's fine. It's all good. So it was something that we looked at. We didn't police it, but, yeah, it's a different world out there now, right now. With social being, media a, and- uh, being a professional athlete, it is just a versus 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, oh. just with everyone having the remote control of their life right here. And as soon as they're angry about something, they can let someone else know about it in two seconds. So, you know, versus Sydney sucks and the, the people behind you. <laughs> not for those two hours, but when it's 24-7. <laughs> yeah. 
Absolutely, which is fine. And actually speaking of with, you know, you having a PhD um, and, you know, the work you've done at Notre Dame and the, and the lecturing you've done, what's your, what's your view, just um, changing at, um, speed, I guess, a little bit, what's your view on, yeah, younger people with social media and, and the role that maybe sport, basketball um, can help, help um, especially adolescents um, as they're trying to work out who they are um, and, yeah, what social media can do and then, you know, what sport can also do. It's almost a double-edged sword sometimes with, with social media. I think it's a, it's a platform for you to connect with people and it's a great way, I think, to share ideas and um, that peer support, but then also it's a platform for p- comparison. And I think comparison can be really dangerous for people that if you're a little bit insecure or have some anxiety and that constant comparison can play into your insecurities. So that it's a different world. And I think if you recognise that there's some triggers for you on social media, there's things that you need to put in place to be able to protect your health and not be able to put yourself in those positions where you're constantly doubting yourself and comparison and things that are making you feel bad about yourself. I saw it a lot at my university and dealing with young people and mental health a lot of the time. But at the same time, it's got really a lot of wonderful qualities as well. You know, there's worlds that you can escape to and things that you can experience. And more than ever, it does give you access to some of your favourite players and athletes and all those sort of things. And particularly for women's sport, you know, the the expansion of social media is huge for women's sport because typically they haven't been given attention in mainstream media. So it's a way for female athletes to promote themselves and gain access and connect with fans. So it's, like I said, it's that double-edged sword, you know, and there's ways for you to connect, but I think you've also got to be very, very conscious that there can be, you know, you've got to recognise that there's triggers there and it's impacting you and how you feel on your self-esteem and self-worth, then it's being able to filter that and knowing that these things can be unhealthy for you if you're not secure in who you are and you feel like you're constantly comparing yourself to others. Mm, it's and and that can be the highlight reel and no one no one's ever yeah. living their their highlight reel that's for, that's for sure unless you're hitting the uh, the game winning shot in uh, game two um, over in Tasmania that's a, that is that, that's a great highlight reel to be uh, to be replaying now. Um, We'll get into your, uh, we'll actually get, you know, we'll reverse a little bit back into your story. So you're a country girl um, mm. and you country people normally love their sport. Now, there's not quite as many distractions going around. So that's how sort of country communities um, come together on weekends. Um, so did you always want to um, play basketball and become a professional athlete and, and get into coaching or did you sort of fall into it? I think I fell into it. I a country kid, I played everything, you know, like I netball, basketball, soccer, that's what you do in the country, right? Like I used to go with my best friend to water polo and the goalkeeper was out that day, so I'd get chucked in the pool and I was suddenly goalie in water polo. So there it was one of those things I loved growing up in the country. I think playing a diverse range of sports when you're a teenager and through, you know, your early childhood years is the best thing for you. I think getting pigeonholed really early is not the greatest pathway so I was always really thankful for that diversity growing up as a country kid and trying everything and I was probably best at basketball I moved to Perth when I was 15 and that tended to be my focus when I went to Perth like I didn't I played a little bit of school netball but I went the basketball pathway I think that you dreamt of like being the professional athlete and things like that but 
I did my knee and I got injured and I still remember a doc with the National League like team saying to me, like, this is going to be a battle for you, like the way your knees are, the amount of training. So I kind of think I realised that semi-professional was probably my level if I wanted to be a really good player. It still sort of eats you a little bit, like could I have gone on to be that, you know, professional athlete? But, you know, back then there wasn't the resources or the, the finances for you to put your investment into being a professional female athlete, I mean, it's still a long way off, but doors have definitely opened now and the pay's a little bit better. So I thought, oh, I'm going to have to have a backup plan here, which is when university came into play and career path as well as playing basketball to offset that. So it was a bit of a combination, but, yeah, growing up as a country kid and playing different sports, I love that. I wouldn't change that for the world. And that's, I imagine that's why you chose sports science uh, to then head across to UWA. Uh, then you can do a heap more sports and keep learning about sport and you can say to your parents, well, I'm actually studying, so leave me be. Exactly. I, th- I just don't think I had any idea what I was going to do. Like probably most kids come out and go to uni. I'll just go do sports science because I like sport and I'm good at science, so I'll just combine the two and thankfully it worked out. I ended up at Notre Dame doing a PhD and ended up carving out a really nice beautiful pathway in terms of my career which I loved like my job there was one of the highlights of my life in terms of the staff and the students and um, you know I've ended up here but would not be here at all if it wasn't for that pathway um, and the, the the way that I ended up there. What were some things um, some key takeaways uh, with your time at Notre Dame whether that was lecturing or whether that was being the head of sports science there? Engaging with students of all different backgrounds. I think that having a a past where I haven't been pigeonholed in professional sport and I haven't been in that bubble, I've dealt with so many students and staff members over 15 years with such diverse backgrounds and family and histories that it just made me so appreciative of everyone's story. And I think when you're coaching and you're dealing with people, you have to have uh, you have to be empathetic and you have to have an understanding of people's stories that not everyone follows the same path mm. and where you want people to go isn't necessarily this smooth pathway for everyone. So I think understanding that and engaging with those students over so many years and I was thankful to work with the most dynamic, engaging, greatest staff in the world at Notre Dame in, in health sciences. It was so much fun every single day to see their passion for working with young people. And I think that was something I couldn't help but adopt and something that I really grew to love. And I think I just took that into coaching. So for me, that was by far and away the most valuable things that I think have held me in good stead for this job that I'm in right now. I love it. So, and then, so why did, uh, you obviously met Luke earlier um, in your basketball days, I presume. So how, what, why did he give you that call um, for to ask you to apply for the role for the Sydney? He actually, he actually rang a good friend of mine, a guy called Adam Caporn, who's currently coaching the G League team for the Brooklyn Nets in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's assistant coach for the Boomers. And Adam played for the Wildcats. He's a Perth boy. We've been friends for a long time. And Luke rang Adam because he was shortlisting assistant coach. They had Kevin Lish locked in and they had their assistant coaches, but he's like, we want something else. And I've got a short list of guys in the NBL, but I want something different. I want something outside the box. That's Luke anyway. He tends to think a little bit outside the box. And it was Adam that said to Luke, have you thought about Fleur McIntyre as a potential candidate? And Luke said, Fleur, I didn't even like think of her. And that's how it went from there. Luke said, um, 
I'd like to, you know, I think Luke does claim it a little bit, but it was Adam and initially threw my name up and that's how it all sort of started. Luke gave me a phone, a call and said, are you keen to do this? And it went from there. Love it. And I mean, and that background, that, that amount of years dealing with that amount of different personalities at Notre Dame, uh, I imagine was just a, uh, a huge leg up. So how, how did that interview process go? And was that a nerve wracking um, experience? I actually laugh in that it's the easiest job I've ever applied for in the process that I went through. Maybe I shouldn't be saying this on the podcast, but it's, you know, I like being honest. I, I tend to say things as they are. So Luke rang me, asked if I was interested. Sure, no problems. Had 24 hours to think about it. Basically, I just had to submit my CV with my background, with basketball, my teaching background, and that was on Friday. Sunday, Luke called me and said, you're in, like I've, you know, your top six, we're going to talk about things, blah, 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 blah. Monday I spoke to New South Wales was in lockdown. I spoke to Paul Smith, one of the owners, who was mm-hmm. in lockdown and potentially bored, which is why he had Smitty. <laughs> so, Smitty's a very, like, um, personable, excitable human being. So I kind of got to know what his background was, what he wanted for the Kings. So I touched base with him. Chase was already in the States, our head coach, and he was working with the Milwaukee Bucks NBA team yep. in their finals campaign. He'd just been appointed, so I did an interview with him on Thursday. It was a phone interview. Literally, I say to everyone, I was like in my pajamas sitting on my stairs just chatting to him <laughs> on the phone. Love it. It, was, it was so surreal to me because he's in the middle of the playoffs where Giannis had just done his knee and we're talking about that, and I'm like, what is going on? Like <laughs> This anyway, real life. How good. Yeah. Um, but we we connected and we, you know, he obviously had these questions for me and I had to answer. It went for about 50 minutes. Sunday, the general manager, the CEO, Chris Pongrass, called me and said, I just want to touch base with you on a few things, like you've made it to the top two and we're really impressed with you. And in my head I'm thinking to myself, all I've done is talk on the phone. Like I don't even know. They were all like, oh, you're doing so great. And I'm like, all I'm doing is having a phone conversation. Well, that's fine. You sure um, you had to write a resume. So you, surely, yeah. surely there was something else other than the phone calls. You know, had a, maybe. Yeah. yeah, maybe. So I spoke <laughs> to Chris on the Sunday. We ticked off a few boxes. It was about me moving to Sydney and what they were willing to offer me and could I accept that and going back and forth. And then, yeah, Tuesday I got offered the job. They were like, we want to appoint you as, you know, the lead assistant with Kevin Lish and we want you to move to Sydney. The three-point like, genius him, himself. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So within 10 days, I went from a phone call from Luke Longley asking if I was interested to being appointed as lead assistant for Sydney Kings with Kevin Lynch. So it is it. It's crazy. Yeah, it's an absolute whirlwind, but that's, and you're that's how it went. You are ready for a, for a change? Been in Notre Dame for 12 years? Yeah, well, actually it was 15 all up if you count my PhD and working sessionally. So I've been there 15 years and I'd actually taken voluntary redundancy about five, six months before because I wanted a change. Like I'd, there was changes happening at the university. I, I was thinking I wanted to see change and I'd been there a long time and it had been about five months of me doing absolutely nothing and living the good life off my Literally redundancy Literally in the pyjamas. <laughs> oh, so good. Those were good days. I miss those days. But I was thinking I need a job. Like I got to start like getting my shit together a little well, bit. That, you were just in the in the PJs watching the Last Dance. You Luke oh, was all of a sudden in there for a little bit. He probably should have been in there a little yeah. bit more. I'm not sure why he wasn't. But anyway, and then all of a sudden he's calling you saying, "Do you want a job?" Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Which and I needed it. It timing everything right. I was thinking to myself, uh, the funds are getting a little low. I really need to probably get a job here. As much as I've loved living the good life of yeah. five months of no work. And then yeah, that's how it all eventuated and went from there. So what does what does the next year look like? But what does 10 years time look like for Fleur? So I'm contracted to the Kings for one more season. That was um, something that the Kings were really gracious and um, they offered me two years right off the, the bat. They're like, we're not going to make you move to Sydney for a year. Like we want to give you two years. And so I'm back here next year with Kevin again and Chase and our coaching staff. And, you know, at the moment we go straight into free agency this week. And it's, yeah, so I'm going to come back to Perth for a little while and I'll do a little bit of work, but I'm super excited to see family and friends and catch up with people. I probably need to have a break from socialising, but that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> I'll just keep celebrating as we come back to Perth. Um, so here for next year and then beyond that, who knows? I think 10 years, everyone's constantly asked me this week. I've done a fair few interviews this week and over the last few days about head coaching and where I want to go and I still feel like I've got so much to learn. Maybe in 10 years, I think that's definitely a possibility. Um, Chase is always so supportive of, you know, you know, us being head coaches and helping us to get there and his belief in us is unbelievable. But his basketball IQ is off the charts like this year. Like I look at him and how I think my X's and O's are pretty good, but I watch how quick he goes. I'm like, oh, my God. It's like watching Rain Man out there on the sidelines <laughs> and how he gets there. Yeah. So. 10 years from now, who knows? Like there's a lot of talk around me head coaching in the NBL and being the first, but I think for the time being I I try to just be where my feet are and just do the job that I'm paid to do and do it really, really well. I don't know any other way and try not to think too far ahead and I'll I'll take it as it comes. I love it. And what? give us a a few key takeaways um, as a coach that you've learned um, over the last season. Professional athletes, whether they're 13, uh, anyone, human beings, whether they're 13 and 30, just need that you just need to matter with them and they need to matter. And listening is important. And it doesn't matter if they're grown men or teenage boys. I think that the biggest thing I learned this year and the thing that I took away from these guys is that um, I took an interest and I adored them and they adored me back. And They just wanted feedback and they were the easiest people in the world to coach because that's who they are. And at the end of the day, they just need to know that they matter and that they're important and they just want to be heard. So that's probably the first thing when everyone was like, oh, does it matter if you're female and you're working with men? And they, honestly, they were the easiest group in the world to to work with every single day. Um, I think secondly is that it's chaotic and it's stressful professional sport at times. So You've got to be able to understand that I think a calm approach and coming from the outside where I've been through stuff in my life and I've had friends in my life be through, be go through far bigger things than whether we win or lose a basketball game. So for me, perspective is everything. And yes, it's important and yes, it's my job, but keeping that perspective and be able to take a calm approach in like it's a game of basketball you know, and I'll do anything I can for these guys because this is their livelihood and this is what matters the most. And I'll live and breathe it and I'll feel for it at the time. But having that perspective, I think is critical at the end of the day. And, you know, my family and friends matter to me above all else. 
Um, and whether I win or lose a basketball game, whether I won or lost this NBL championship doesn't change who I am. I'm still Fleur and that'll always be my approach to things. So I think that perspective is really important as well. I love it. And do you have any, is it mainly perspective that, that helps keep you calm or do you have any other um, techniques or, or tools that, that help you, you know, either, you know, when the game's really tight or, you know, when it's between games and, you, and you're feeling, you know, your stress level starting to build up? Mm. Oh, look, it definitely gets the best of me. No doubt. There's times where you're just frantic. I did three scouts for three different teams in seven days due to the COVID scheduling changes. And the boys told me I was the grumpiest human being of all time that week because I hadn't slept and I was snappy and in the car and, you know, and so it definitely gets the best of me. I think finding those outlets is really important. I'm an absolute nerd, so I tend to read a lot, but it's got to be stuff that's just fiction and takes my mind off stuff and music. So that sort of stuff is really important to me. I think in terms of being calm, I'm not sure being old is a superpower, but I'm going to claim that that <laughs> helps me. Um, we, were, we were such a young group. Like we are young and we can be quite emotional. So I think just having life experience, you know, like you go through things and you're able to calm yourself because you've got life experience. And for these guys, it's really hard. They're young and it's the first time them seeing stuff and having to deal with these range of emotions. So I think with age comes a little bit of wisdom, a little bit of experience. And I think just having those little calming outlets as well, when I felt myself stressed and, you know, tense and it definitely got the best of me sometimes, but having that balance was really important as well. I love it. And so now you're going to be coming back to Perth. So where, what what have you missed most um, about living over east? Is there is there a certain beach that you've missed or a certain restaurant in Perth? I'm a Freo girl. I'm south of the river. Obviously, Perth divided north-south. <laughs> Freo has my heart, always has, always will. The food, the cafes, the coffee, going for a beer down by the water, all those things I miss. So I am so excited. My my parents live like right on the cusp of Frio and, um, wow. yeah, I think they're the things that that I miss. Just I mean, Sydney's got great waterfront, amazing food, absolutely, but I just miss the casualness and the eclecticness of Frio that I just get to go down and have a beer on the water. I could be in whatever clothes you've thrown on that day and no pretentiousness in Frio. It's just real people and that's the stuff I can't wait to get back to. Love it. Well, Fleur, um, enjoy your time down in Frio. Um, congratulations on being the first female to get an NBL championship ring. Um, yeah, that's a, a huge achievement. And um, as we're just chatting a little bit off air before, you know, it's going to mean that the second time that a female um, wins a ring, it's not going to, you know, um, I guess be as big a deal. And then the third person, it's not going to be as big a deal. And it's, it's sort of opening up, um, you know, that gateway for, for other females to, um, to follow in your footsteps. So um, well done on being a trailblazer for that. Thanks, James. I so appreciate it.